Hello. Welcome to another episode of the Beatles Books Podcast with me, Joe Wisby. In this special mini episode, I'm joined by author Kevin Barry to discuss his novel, Beetle Bone. Kevin Barry is the author of three novels and two other short story collections. His stories and essays have appeared in The New Yorker, Granter and elsewhere. He also works as a playwright and a screenwriter and lives in County Sligo in Ireland. Beetlebone is set in 1978 and John Lennon has escaped New York City to try to find the island off the west coast of Ireland he bought 11 years prior. Leaving behind domesticity, his approaching 40s, his inability to create and his memories of his parents, he sets off to calm his unquiet soul in the comfortable silence of isolation. I tend to shy away from Beatle fiction, but this is a searing, thrilling book, and I was delighted to have Kevin as a guest. Kevin Barry, hello. Welcome to the Beatles Books Podcast. How are you? I'm not bad, Joe. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. So we're here to talk about Beetlebone, uh, a novel which has won John Lennon as its main character. In the interviews that you gave around the time of publication of this book, you say that you worshipped at the, the church of John Lennon. Um, I was wondering if you could just tell us a bit about your kind of early experiences of John and what led you to worship at that particular church. Weirdly enough, for someone who's written a book with John Lennon in it, I'm, like I'm not one of the world's biggest Beatles fanatics. Uh, like I, I, I love them, you know, but not, but not, in, not in a very obsessive, compulsive way, like a lot of, a lot of, like a lot of people do. But I, ha- I've definitely had phases, big kind of Beatles phases in my life. Uh, the first one, I would say, in the early '90s, not unrelated to my uh, intake of LSD around that time in my life. Uh, so I started listening to Sgt. Pepper and the White Album coming down at mm. seven in the morning, uh, many moons ago in, in, in my wasted youth, uh, very wasted youth sometimes. Then I think I remember I had a big sort of solo Lennon, the early kind of 70s albums, a big phase with those around 2010, 2011, which kind of nudged me in the direction of, of actually trying to use him. Okay. In, in my fiction, got a bit, just, just, just a bit obsessed with his tone, I guess, at that point, in both the music and in like interviews when, when you'd hear him speak in old recordings and so forth. So tell us about the initial kind of uh, inspiration behind Beetlebone. Where did the, the idea come from? Yeah, it's weird, actually. Often what gives you um, a novel isn't one idea, but two things kind of combining and, and kind of okay. sparking off each other a little bit. I live in I live in uh, in Ireland in the west of Ireland, and in the summer I, I go on my bike out to the next county over Mayo, and there's a beautiful place called Clue Bay, um, and I would go cycling out around there, and it was kind of you know early summer I should have been in a good mood anytime I you know off off for a few days on my bike, but anytime I got towards Clue Bay I got this very heavy, very kind of melancholy feeling out there, and I would start to think about sort of friends who had passed on and family members I'd lost, and I thought what the hell is going on with this feeling? Why do I always get it around here? And I, I didn't know, but this combined then with another thing I knew about Clue Bay, this little piece of pop cultural trivia I'd filed away many years ago is that John Lennon used to own one of those tiny islands out there. Um, and then I just kind of put the two together and I thought, I remember actually one day very vividly, I think in, in kind of late um, 2011, I was having a nap on my couch 
in in in, in the, the 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 shed where I work one afternoon, and I kind of sat up, and I thought, oh fuck, I'm actually going to do this, aren't I? I'm going to try put John Lennon in a novel, and and I kind of set to it then very quickly, put sending him back to his island. In in real life, he only visited twice ever uh, for a couple of hours each time. But I then thought, what what if he went another? What if he went a third time? Could I imagine that trip, and could I kind of do a voice for him? Did you have any kind of reservations about using him, uh, you know, using a real person? Yeah, vast okay. reservations. Well, I mean, I, I, I kind of um, began working on the book in a, in a mood of great glee. Um, I, was, I was delighted with myself. I thought, this is a fucking great idea. Put John Lennon in an awful, what can go wrong? Um, and about three weeks in, I started to go, oh, gosh, this is really difficult. This is really, really hard to do. Not only for the reasons you mentioned that this was a real person and you have a responsibility to how you portray them in a, in a, in a piece of fiction, but also the fact that um, so many people who would read the book would have an idea before starting what Lenin should sound like. Mm. Um, so, so you're up against that because it, it's not just an iconic figure, any old iconic figure. You know, it's John Lennon. It's a, a majorly iconic figure. And people think they know what he sounds like. So they the book has, has to get them, you know, they, they have to go with it. And it was very difficult. Um, and it's, it's the longest any book took me. I, I kind of came and went from it for about four years, uh, not working continuously, but it, it took a long while to get a voice from that I was happy with. Speaking of that, of that voice, it's, uh, I think it's a, a really, almost a thrilling depiction of, of John. I, I was thinking about, um, before we uh, spoke today, if you put the same kind of in a monologue of any of the other three Beatles in this yeah. situation, it just wouldn't work. You know, as much as I love them, um, yeah. it, you know, you, you, you can't, you, I'm not sure you'd want to spend a, a novel in, in Ringo's head, but anyway. <laughs> um, so so oh, that don't, vo- don't, don't tempt me. <laughs> uh, I better not. Um, so yeah, so that voice then, what kind of research did you do? Did you, you know, watch a lot of clips? Did you listen to the music? How did you get that voice together? Yeah, I well, I kind of made a rule very early on that I wasn't going to do any kind of reading research because the problem is there's just so much material out there, you know? It's not a rare subject, John Lennon's kind of uh, personality that you're researching. So I thought if I open that wardrobe, the entire world is going to fall out of me. So I said, I'm going to read nothing about him. Not a word while, while I write this. But I did watch a lot of uh, YouTube clips Um specifically a kind of 70s US talk shows like the Dick Cavett show, mm. um, just trying to get his tone and literally writing down sentences uh, as, as he spoke them. Um, because what's tricky about him to do in, in, in a novel is he has a very changeable tone, very capricious. Like he, he can start um, a sentence really cheerful and funny and light. And by the end of it, he's really thorny and paranoid and difficult, you know, which makes him a great character. Um, but but, it, but it, it, it's hard to, to, to get it right. And it was um, just a huge amount of drafts, really, writing endless amounts of dialogue for him and just cutting it and cutting it and cutting it back, getting it to a place where it sounded both kind of funny and thorny enough to pass for him, you know. Um, so, so Ireland then was... You know, he obviously it was a big, it was a big part in all four of their lives, but um, in in particular for for John. Well, tell us a bit about the island itself that he purchased. What what was it? Do you think that he was kind of looking for when he when he went out and bought it? Yeah, it's called Dorinish Island. It's a tiny island uh, in in out in the middle of Clue Bay. I went I went out there uh, to, to to have a look. 
it's really two tiny little islands joined together by a causeway. Um, I guess he bought it thinking this is going to be... There, there, there was a story that the four Beatles together had tried to buy an island in Greece the year previously. Um, famous story about them going on a, on a yacht to view it, uh, well, I think with George and John on their heavy hallucinogenic influence uh, playing sitars up, up, up on desk. God be with the days. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I think the following year then, I think when the band was kind of coming apart a bit, um, I guess he brought, thought this, this sounds like a place to be, a, you know, a quiet reprieve from all the madness that, that was going on in his life and world. That the, the like, strange thing is, it turns out to be a really noisy place. It's, it's like a nesting site for terns, the seagulls, and they're just really loud uh, characters and they don't like you being around so they make and apparently that's what put Yoko off on the second visit Yoko was with him and she got out there and she was terrified of the seagulls because they kind of dive bomb at you and stuff and she kind of said no way you know and 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 the plans for 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 building a house out there kind of were put to the wayside I I, I was very touched to 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 read after I'd finished writing the book that late in his life he did talk about renewing the planning permission uh, for, for, for building a house out on the island. So it made it seem like the books, the story of the book was something that could have happened. Yeah, there's an interview where they ask him, um, do you have a picture of when I'm 64? And he, he talks about he, he talks about Ireland then, and I think he talks about that. Um, he that, does, Gr- growing old on a little island off the west of Ireland sort of a thing with, 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 with Yoko, yeah. Which is yeah, uh, lovely. She's that island. So, what's it like? What was your experience of, of going there? Obviously, the in in the book itself, you you kind of dive in and uh, describe, I imagine, relatively accurately your your, your kind of experiences there. Was it what? Yeah. Was, it, was it what you thought it'd be like? Yeah, like like I should say to, to to listeners who haven't read the book, there is a chapter in the middle of it where where I come into the picture. And, and, and kind of uh, describe what, what, what led me to writing the book. And I talk about going out there. And I think in the book, I claim to have spent two days or something out there. I actually spent about three hours there. You know, right. so the, the, that fictional touch <laughs> is everywhere. But it, 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 was, it, was, it was like plenty enough to get, um, to get a fairly serious uh, uh, feeling for the, the kind of severity of the, the location. He gave it to a hippies um, in the early 70s to a commune called, called the Diggers. I guess people are aware of this story little and they set up a kind of a, an agrarian sort of commune out there and lasted a couple of years, I think, until the last guy, Sid Rawl, the famous king of the hippies, was taken off in, in a poor condition. Um, you know, it's, it's like any place in the west of Ireland. On a, on a, when the weather is good, you wouldn't want to be anywhere else in the world. But, but like a lot of the time, it's just really murky. You know, the Atlantic cloud is down and it's a pretty, pretty... Uh, inconvenient uh, place for your for your free love commune what's there now is it is it completely uninhabited now a sheep farmer had it for a long time um after john died yoko uh sold it and gave the proceeds to an orphanage out there which was really cool mm. um a sheep farmer bought it and was putting sheep on it, it was, I, last i heard it's for sale again um ah. for for i think for about 350 grand um and john bought it for 1200 quid uh, so wow. he, he definitely knew what he was doing in, in, in terms of property speculation. Um, going back to the, the book, um, you introduce relatively early on this, this character of Cornelius, uh, mm. who, who becomes kind of a, I don't want to say psychic because there, there is really more of a kind of a Don Quixote relationship yeah. um, um, going on. 
why did you feel the need to kind of introduce someone to kind of be with John for most of this journey? It was, it was strange. I, I was about a year into the book, I think, um, and still kind of struggling to, 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 to be happy with the voice that I had for Lennon. And I, I did have this opening scene with um, this driver character who was just bringing him around. And this driver was only supposed to be there for like a couple of pages, you know, but he opened his mouth <laughs> and, and started talking uh, and, and, and I couldn't shut him up. <laughs> and weirdly then, when I presented John's voice in counterpoint to Cornelius in conversation with him, I could start to hear John better. I just had to, I realized, you know, oh, I just had to put him into the right uh, conversation. And, and Cornelius is a tricky, slippery kind of, uh, quite a typical kind of a West of Ireland kind of a farmer stroke entrepreneur type. And uh, we never quite know what he's up to in the book, but he, he ends up being a kind of a spirit guide for John mm. in, in, in the West of Ireland. And you're, you're absolutely right to mention the kind of the Don Quixote kind of aspect of it. I realized after a while that, you know, I thought this was like really pushing the envelope a bit, putting uh, John Lennon into a novel. But then I realized you're writing the most old fashioned novel in the world. You're writing Don Quixote yet again, you know, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's you know, it's, it's an endlessly rewarding theme, you know, the, the, the character who goes on a quest for meaning in a, in a kind of midlife uh, time asking the what, what's it all about, Alfie question, you know, we, we all get there at, at some point or other. I think I'm there now, but anyway, um, <laughs> it's interesting because uh, Elliot Mintz, one of the assistants, one of John's kind of friends, Yoko, who worked for Yoko, he always said that John didn't get anything done on his own. Uh, and I, I think it's, I think it would be absolutely, it would fit perfectly that he would need someone to, to kind of be with him. Yeah. Uh, and actually, if you, if you see those um, sort of clips of him recording, there's a lot of them in, in New York and stuff in, 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 in the 70s where he's losing the rag with people. And he's, but he is real kind of Sergeant Major type, isn't he? He just likes to be kind of part of a platoon and directing operations. And, and just that's the way his, his ego worked to, 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 to bring the work out. Yeah, I, you, you could imagine maybe Paul McCartney being, being not that type, being someone who could happily go into a room and, and, uh, and work alone where John needed more of that sort of element. What, what really fascinates me about all four uh, Beatles is, is the kind of the Irishness of them. You know, mm. they're all from that Liverpool kind of Irish Catholic um, background. And I'm very interesting what happens about when Irish people move from, from the culture of kind of pub singing and all that. And when they move to the cold cities of the North in England, what results and what results is, the Beatles and the Smiths and, and that kind of crazy kind of music hall almost kind of world, you know, uh, which is very vivid and strong. And it, it's a really nice kind of a conjunction of influences. How do you look back on it on it now? I mean, it's, it's uh, was it six years since, oh, since it, it came out or so? Uh, I mean, yeah. Did you, get, like did, you get, did you get a reaction that you thought you'd get from it? I, I was very worried publishing that thought because, Gosh, you're setting yourself up for a kicking. You know, you're putting the, you're pinning the kick me sign on your back, putting a, putting a John Lennon as 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 the character in your novel, and it hardly got a a bad word generally in reviews. Mm. A couple of reviewers mightn't have gone for the kind of the the nonfiction chapter, if you like, where I talk about writing the book. But generally, it it got a great reception, and it's done very nicely over the years. It's kept going, you know. It's kept it's kept going along. Initially. It was a kind of general readership, I guess, and people who would know me from, from, from my other books who were buying it. But I have found in the last couple of years more kind of Beatles heads 
uh, have, have been kind of discovering it a little bit and, and, and talking to me about it and in a general, generally very, very favorable way. Mm. Um, my, my big feeling finishing the book and thinking about it now was kind of relieved that I it was kind of like, woo, I, I got away with it. You know, I, I, I put him into a novel without making a show of myself. And I, th- I, I think it, I, th- I was pretty happy with the voice. Um, I, I had to do a little reading from it just about two weeks ago on, on one of these Zooms with, with a, a university in, 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 in Glasgow who were looking at it and I hadn't read it in ages, you know, myself and I hadn't looked over it since I sent it off to its editors and I thought the prose was very strong in it when I, mm. in, in retrospect going back to it. So, so I'm, yeah, I, I, I'm very fond of it. it. It's been the most difficult of the three novels I've written. I've also written story collections, but... Um, and because of that, you, you, you always loved a difficult child, you know? So it's, so it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of a favourite of mine. Were you ever tempted to put more kind of touches of, of real life in it? Obviously, Yoko's not, not mentioned explicitly. Did you deliberately shy away from that? Or was that just kind of how the novel came out? Yeah, that was, that, that was a very difficult part of the kind of the balancing act um, for, for the novel to, 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 to make it like, hold you needed enough that was from real life and then then enough that separated it so i remember relaxing after i wrote a scene in which no no spoiler alert it's that kind of book really but but in which john sits and has a conversation with a seal he meets in a cave um, and the seal turns out to have a scouse accent and after writing that scene i thought well that's fine nobody can take this as 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 real life you know this is a kind of a surreal uh, uh story really and I, I guess actually another thing that that has made has made me kind of uh, happy with the book in retrospect is um, John John John's own taste in, in in as a reader. You know, he he was very into things like Dylan Thomas, a kind of a, a boyhood sort of fast love of of the of the Welsh poet that he continued all all, all through his life. And I, and that, that was some of the kind of music I was trying to bring into it as well. That kind of under Milkwood kind of uh, kind of lyricism, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, um, doing this kind of podcast i do get sent as you can imagine a wide variety of books and a few Beatle fiction books come through the door as well uh but this is um yeah this is far and away the the most interesting and and um exciting that i've i've got so um yeah just, that's very uh, kind joe thanks that's, that's my pleasure well well kevin it's been a, an excellent um time speaking to you thank you so much for your time fantastic thanks joe